Well, good morning again. Uh, we are starting a new series today, and I've actually added a segment. It was going to be a four-week series, and we were supposed to start this morning about walking with God through doubt. And we've changed that up, and we're actually going to be talking about walking with God through fear and uncertainty. So that'll be the first of a series of five, and in between the series, we'll also have our Good Friday service, Lord willing, and our Easter service, Lord willing. And we'll keep you posted on events. We'll keep sending out email communications. And this is a great time if you are not already signed up on the church's emails that go out. We send out blast emails. Uh, We'll keep you posted on those events. And if you sign up today and don't have it, if you email uh, the office, we can even send you the emails that sort of put forward our entire structure for the next week or two weeks, okay? We're in the midst of an unprecedented situation, at least in our lifetime. Maybe our grandparents have gone through something similar. Uh, Many firsts are occurring. There are more firsts that are being implemented today. Um, One of my friends from California humorously said, uh, most everyone quarantined, no sports, no school. In nine months, there will be a baby boom of babies called the Coronials. (laughs) So uh, Proverbs 17.22 says, a joyful heart is good medicine. Um, This outbreak, uh, what the World Health Organization has recently designated a global pandemic and what President Trump has designated a national emergency, has affected about every area of our life. It affected you yesterday as you went out into the community. Uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade is delayed. Broadway, government, schools, kids sports, professional sports. Uh, Your children's schools have been canceled. My children's schools have been canceled. Of course, unless you're homeschooled, then it's not canceled. Um, But it still affects everything about your life. Uh, I have a university student coming home early. Uh, That's a hidden blessing. Um, No sports. ESPN doesn't even know what to comment on, right? That's a hidden blessing. You know why that's a hidden blessing? Because they're not in control. They don't get to sort of invade uh, your life at every single moment of the day. Uh, the lines at Costco and King Supers were dreadful. Okay? No more toilet paper. I'll be honest, not a hidden blessing, right? All these other things are hidden blessings. And my wife is handing out our rolls. So if, if you could do some intervention after this <laughs> service, um, much appreciated. Uh, a blatant blessing, Chick fil A was still open yesterday, and we took advantage of that. Um, but this is a time of fear, and some of you may be fearing. And, and that's okay, because we have, we have it on record that psalmists were gripped by fear. Prophets, the prophet Habakkuk, was gripped by fear. The disciples were gripped by fear. Um, and I, wanna, I actually want to, right here at the beginning, I want to encourage us, because sometimes during a crisis, Christians can become some of the most insensitive people because of our confident faith. Right? And I've seen this, you know, in, in, in the comments on Facebook, Um, being prepared is not the same as being fearful or lacking faith. Let me repeat that. Being prepared, you being prepared, you making sure you have enough food and drinking water for your family is not the same thing, and we need to be careful we're not criticizing that. It's not the same thing as being fearful or lacking faith. Proverbs 22.3 states this, A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. I was in the middle of the Civil War in Sudan in 2003 
where we were training, we were doing two things. We were training Christian leaders, 40 of them who have walked three to five days away. Uh, We were training Christian leaders and we were helping eradicate the guinea worm. The guinea worm is a nasty little critter that if you get it in your body will wreak nightmarish things. And we were up there and we were handing out simple, fine-knit filters. That's all they had to do was they had to put the, the filter over their water jug. They would walk two miles to the Nile River where little boys had dug out holes about 20 feet deep. We walked out. We saw the holes they were digging. And they get this water out of the upper Nile region in Sudan and they, they, would, they would be contracting the guinea worm. Uh, when we walked out with some of the Bible college students in their attempt to impress me, uh, they said, they looked right at me and they said, God is my filter. Okay, so I, I went to handle my net. No, God is my filter. Okay, I want you to look at my I'm not impressed face. Okay, so that's what I did. And I was like, are you kidding me? It's one of those, really? No, because we just read Proverbs 22. A prudent person perceives the danger and what? Takes precautions. So I was able, it became a discipling opportunity. No, you using a filter, you using what is available to you, you treating your child who has diarrhea to stop the diarrhea. Most people do, most children do not die of malaria in Africa. They, they die of the resulting diarrhea from malaria. For you to help that is not a lack of faith. For you to prepare for us to maybe have to cancel next Sunday. Not a lack of faith. We're going to foresee the danger And we're going to take precautions because the greatest act of love is protecting this flock for God's glory in in times of uncertainty. But as we navigate this, let's do so scripturally. So, walking with God through fear and uncertainty. Three main points this morning. God is our safe refuge, a very present help in trouble. By the way, that gives me a whole psalm to work through. Second, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And third, the reality of our reality. So to make up for last week's 53-minute sermon, I'm only going to preach 67 minutes this morning, okay? Right. Yeah, right. No, the kids are like, that's not even funny, really. After la- last week, okay, so first point, as we gather together sort of in our living room this morning as a family, um, God is our safe refuge. So what are we to do when we're faced with a tiny little virus from nature, if we could phrase it that way, that looks like one of those puffer balls from Walmart when it's, you know, when it's expanded, what are we to do when we're not sure what this is going to do yet? How do we respond? How do we respond when fear tries to grip our heart in the face of uncertainty? Well, I want you to, I want you to mark these three psalms down. Enter a trilogy of psalms, Psalm 46, 47, and 48. These are called songs or psalms of triumph. Quickly, Psalm 46. Open your scriptures. Open God's word to Psalm 46. There are three stanzas to this song. That's what we've been doing. We've been singing. And my heart has been lifted and encouraged. And these truths are just sort of splashing and reverberating over my heart as we sing to one another about our great God and as we sing to God. Psalm 46 is also a song composed of three stanzas. This is, how, this is how they're divided. God's sovereign control over nature. Okay, think disease. Then God's sovereign control over nations. Think China. Think America. And God's sovereign control over a warring world. 
think global, but also think in your own heart. Okay? Look at verse 1, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, because of that truth, we will not fear Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And you'll see a little word, it's in italics, and you're actually not supposed to read that word. It is a marker to say pause, consider, or meditate. It may have actually been a musical notation that allowed, as we have this morning, a time of pausing where the instruments just played. So the truth sunk in. Okay. This does not say you have to find and get into a safe place. It is saying, God, wherever you are, whatever your circumstances are, God is the ultimate safe place. It's an interesting illustration of mountains being moved into the heart of the sea. In our lifetime, we've seen, and you can, and you can look at these videos in Indonesia and in Japan, when tsunamis have actually taken over what should have been their boundary markers of the sea. And thousands were killed. But the psalm doesn't start there, does it? Look at where the psalm starts. It doesn't talk about when the earth gives way and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea first. It starts with, look at, look at verse 1, what's the first word? God. God is our refuge and strength. The name Elohim, Almighty God, appears seven times in this short psalm. The name Yahweh, that personal, covenant, close God, it appears three times. And the title, the Most High, if you look at verse 4, it is used there to, to put, put Him forward as this big, majestic, safe place. God in His diverse character becomes refuge, strength, and a very present help in trouble. By the way, this does not mean you will not get sick. It does not mean, it does not promise that today you will not be hit by a car. Or that a loved one will die even in a seeming premature age. That's not the promise. It does mean when you are in distress and you are facing the enemy of enemies, death, God is a safe place for you. When you are in distress, God is there to provide help. When trouble is near, think of it this way, when trouble is near, God is nearer still to you. When death approaches... Right? When it tries to intimidate you with its long, foreboding shadow, guess who's already near you? God is. God is a refuge and strength. The idea of earth and mountains are to communicate stability. So what happens when that stability changes positions? What happens when that stability erodes or it's no longer there? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Verse 2, therefore we will not Look at the second stanza of this song. Verse 4. God's power over nations. There's a lot of blame going on right now. Right? A lot of conspiracy theory um, and then China's dialogue and narrative. And, and uh, Did American soldiers go up in there and plant this as a fire? Listen, folks, I mean, you can listen to those as long as it's interesting, but do not let your, your hearts become unsettled by all the different narratives. Do you know why? You know why you don't need to go into fear? Because of the very first word of this psalm. God. He's overall. And if it was a sabotage of a nation on a nation or something accidental or something created and unleashed or something that 
that seems to be an accident. God is over all. You have to speak that truth to your own heart when you feel nervous or anxious or fearful. He's not only in charge over nature, he's in charge of the nations. Look at verse 4. By the way, the raging sea in the first stanza now becomes a source of life. And there's a really a picture here of God being able to change the seasons. Verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And there's that little word again. So pause. Let that truth sink in. Meditate. Don't rush on. Don't don't just move past it. Think about the truth that was just communicated. God changes the seasons and the circumstances. This perhaps gives the picture of a besieged city and the river that comes out of it is a source of life. It could actually be a picture of the new Jerusalem where God is sitting on His throne and there's this beautiful river flowing out where He's giving life to the nations. But God is in His rightful place, verse 5. He's in the midst. And I love this. This is the second time the word help comes. Look at verse 5. I want you to see the word help stand out. When the morning dawns, God will help The third stanza. God is even sovereign over warring nations. Look at verse 8. Come behold the works of the Lord. That's, a, that's an invitation to come look close. Come see. Almost as if you have the eyes of a prophet and you could look in, forward into all the wars that are going to happen. Come behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. So who's in charge of that? Who's in control of that? He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Okay, so you, you have him bringing an end to warfare, but then look at verse 10. This is the verse that's probably the most familiar. Be still and know something. And what are you supposed to know? You're not giving any guarantee that you're going to make it through the next week healthy or even alive. I hope we all do. But what are you supposed to know? Where is your confidence? Be still and know something. Know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And there's that little word again. Pause. Meditate. Do you know fear only sees destruction and devastation and hopelessness? But... But faith actually believes God's Word and lifts up its eyes above the battle fray, above the plagues, above the leper, and sees the wonders of Yahweh being unfolded before us. Why does this psalmist admonish us to be still? You think about it. The world is actually being asked to be still right now. In God's sovereign goodness, he has, he has allowed something to happen that is unprecedented in our lifetime and the world has to stop. And like Ecclesiastes says, consider their own end. This is a gift 
I'm not saying it's good, but it is a gift in that we should be still and know that God is God because we are people of commotion. We are anxious. We are busy. And people are already finding new ways to distract themselves because there isn't NCAA and there isn't NHL. And we're going we're to find new ways to numb ourselves and distract ourselves because we're afraid of our own thoughts because we haven't allowed ourselves to be still and know that God is in control, that He is the sovereign, good refuge. It's also a reminder that we're not in control. You can't control this. You can social distance yourself. You can do all the wise precautions. Be still and know that God is in control, not you. That's a good place to get to, by the way. When you can release that grip of control over your life and over your circumstances and over your family and over your work situation, when you can release that, even the timing of the death of your loved ones, when you can release that control and be still and know that He is God, there will be a peace that passes all understanding that flows into your heart. Refrain from anxiousness. Refuse to be distracted. So it is to stop and know that God is Lord over nature, over disease, over disability, over demons, over death. He is our refuge and strength. So now let's fast forward to Mark chapter 4. Open your scriptures to Mark 4. Towards the end of chapter 4 of Mark's account of the Gospel, we see an interesting setting uh, where perhaps they brought, should have brought Psalm 46 to their mind because the seas were foaming and raging. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, look at verse 35, we'll begin there. On that day when evening had come, and there, there weren't a lot of city lights. If you've ever been up to the Sea of Galilee, you could see Capernaum a little bit on the one side. Um, but when it got dark, it was extremely dark. On that day when evening had come, He, Jesus, said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took Him with them in the boat, just as He was, and other boats were with Him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Try to recreate this situation in your own mind. Try to paint a picture. Okay, he's, Jesus is sleeping, and your boat is starting to fill with water. Not gently. I mean, the ocean spray is splashing your face. The, the waters are foaming. And what seemed like a small body of water in the daytime at calm now feels like death without shores in a storm. And it's, and it's what? It's dark. I want you to pause there for a second, because we'll, we'll rush right past some of those details. Sometimes it doesn't seem like our circumstances are designed by a loving and caring Creator, does it? Why did it have to be dark? And why did it have to be a storm? And why did it have to be such a small boat that it could take on water? And why, this is the biggest question, does Jesus have to be what? Sleeping. Right? The circumstance seems totally out of proportion with the care and the attributes of God. But the lake becomes a theological classroom and the storm is actually part of the curriculum. And you know what? Those are some of the greatest lessons we learn is when, go back to Psalm 46, you're out of control. You're not able to still your circumstances. So you need to be still and know that He is God. Look at Mark 4, verse 38. But He, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke Him, 
Okay, nothing wrong yet. They didn't do anything wrong. And said to him, teacher, I'm sure they didn't say it this calm, but I'll, try, I'll not try to reenact it. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Teacher, I mean, they're probably frenzied. The boat's sinking. Teacher, don't you even care? Do you know what happened? Their fear caused them to falsely accuse God, the Son of God, of something that was not true. Right? We've talked about this before. I've put this in writing before. They start to accuse Jesus of not caring for them. And do you know that often people's anger is not necessarily just raw anger. Their anger is actually, it actually exposes fear. They're out of control and they don't like it. And that fear, that irritation, exposes a fearful heart. Look at verse 39. And he awoke, and the first thing he takes care of is nature, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And actually, it's a command, be muzzled. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. The disciples wrongly rebuked Jesus. Now he turns and he is going to rightly rebuke them. Look at verse 40. And he said to them what? I want you to see this. Why are you what? So afraid. Have you still no faith? You know, circumstances are given to test and grow us, not to dominate and crush us. Look at Mark 4.41. Of course, after he rebukes them, they're, they're sitting there. And again, the waves are still. You can hear the, the raindrop that's falling off the edge of the boat. Everything is calm. They can hear one another breathing again. They hear the water sloshing at the bottom of the boat. And look at their response. This is incredible. Verse 41. And they were filled with great what? <laughs> so we replaced fear with fear. Yes. Exactly. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? They see who really is in the boat with them. He says, be muzzled. And boom, and it stops. And they're filled with great fear, not at the storm, not at the potential sinking of the boat. They're in fear of who is in the boat with them. And they say this, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Do you know this virus has to obey God? It has to. Some of you have lost loved ones in, in different ways through disease or through an accident. Do you know none of that was out of God's control? That doesn't remove the grief. doesn't remove the hurt. But it does allow you to cast your confidence in the One who cares for you. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. And then sometimes you'll stop reading right there. I want you to look at chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea. And that is true of you too. Regardless of what happens, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and there is this fear that who is this, that even the wind and the sea obey Him, you will come to the other side of the sea. Finally this morning, yes, God is a refuge, a very present help. Yes, we recognize who is this, that even the wind and the sea obey Him as the Son of God. But let's consider, and the way I want to put it is the reality of our reality. Okay? What is the reality of our reality right now? 
Uh, the reality of our reality is, and this is not going to sound like a comfort at first, so hang in there with me. This is our final point. The reality of our reality is we are all dying of a disease called sin. The Christian worldview, more than any other worldview, has an answer for what is wrong in this world. And seasons of uncertainty can sometimes feel more threatening than the disease itself. And the reason is because most people aren't just thinking about getting the disease and clearing it. They actually have to confront what enemy? Death. You have almost an entire globe right now with a small, tiny little virus having to consider the real problem. And the real problem is exactly what Hebrews says, as is appointed unto people once to die, and after that, the judgment. What we are watching, really, if, if you would look at it this way, are two pandemics. You have a pandemic of a virus, and you have another pandemic of the fear of what? Fear of death. We lived in Africa when the AIDS virus was wreaking havoc, especially in East Africa. And we are friends with a beautiful lady named Elizabeth. She's from Western Kenya, from a tribe called the Luo tribe. And she had actually come to Nairobi, a city, so it was about a, a seven-hour drive east to Nairobi, where we lived at the time, uh, where she received her education. She went back to her hometown. She went back to her home village, uh, back to the, 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 the Luo people. And what she had come to find out is everybody her age had died everyone from the AIDS virus. At that time, we were living in Kenya with five children, all under the age of seven years old. And so while we're trying to comfort and grieve with her, what are we thinking as parents? Right? Is this going to touch our children? Okay, who, who don't know quite yet how to keep their hands out of their mouth. And when we go into Mathari Salaam, they say, don't even touch the side of the tin roofs because if you cut yourself, you'll get a disease. And we're all marching through this area where human excrement is flowing down the middle. And I'll be honest, fear is crippling. You may be fine. That may be fine with you. But when you start thinking about your loved ones, that's a totally different kind of fear and it can paralyze. Scripture explains the human experience of death with vivid imagery. Let me just read to you three of these. Ecclesiastes 8.8 says this, As no one has power over the wind to contain it. Right? That would be silly. Uh, it was very windy this past week. If somebody just stood out in the middle of our parking lot like this, and you asked them what they're doing, I'm stopping the wind. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Okay? Ecclesiastes says, As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. Job 18.14, another poetic description says this, when that day comes, your death, man is torn from the security of his tent and they march him off before the king of terrors. So poetically, their death is, is personified as a king of terrors. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. Here's the pandemic. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? And Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Sin, like a virus, doesn't respect ethnic boundaries, national borders, or economic brackets. China, Italy, America, the ski slopes and resorts. Sin is the same as a virus. 
It finds the forgotten elderly person at the assisted living facility who has no one checking on them. And it touches also Hollywood's Tom Hanks. It's very much like sin. It's a reminder of the pervasiveness and the pandemic nature of sin. And the point here now is not to insensitively wave death before you. Um, The point is to proclaim boldly to you in the face of death that you do not need to fear death. The point is not whether you have a dangerous virus in, in your system like MERS or AIDS or SARS or COVID-19, the point is we already have a fatal disease running through our veins and it's sin. And I'm thankful the world has to pause for a moment. As Paul, as Paul said in Romans 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he provides an answer just a few verses later. I want to read out of Romans 7:25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen to the way, the, the, sort of the, the complementing truths of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Christ himself, through death, destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, verse 15, and delivered from death, delivered all those who through fear of death, he puts those two ideas together, We're subject to lifelong slavery. Do you fear death? Then run to Christ. The Prince of Life. He looks at Martha and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. When news of death raged all around the city of the cholera outbreak in London in 1854, Charles Spurgeon, he found his London listeners a lot more receptive. He actually says this, quote, If there ever be a time when the mind is sensitive, it is when death is abroad. I recollect when first I came to London how anxiously people listened to the gospel, for the cholera was raging terribly. There was little scoffing then. Isn't that interesting? On one occasion at three in the morning, Spurgeon was called uh, to visit a dying man, a man who had scoffed him on many occasions. Charles Spurgeon writes, quote, That man in his lifetime had been wont to jeer at me, In strong language, he had often denounced me as a hypocrite. Yet he was no sooner smitten by the darts of death than he sought my presence and counsel, no doubt feeling in his heart that I was a servant of God. Charles Spurgeon did not promise that Christians would neither get sick nor die, for he said this, quote, rather the Christian, quote, needs not dread sickness, for he has nothing to lose but everything to gain by death. You know, believers, death is simply a doorway for us that swings on a loose hinge and takes us from this life into a new heaven and a new earth where there is no more crying or pain or suffering anymore. I want to close with a, with a longer quote from C.S. Lewis who wrote to believers during a time of the atomic bomb. 72 years ago, C.S. Lewis wrote this. It was a real fear, the fear of living next door to Germany and having a bomb dropped on you and ending your life in an instant. He wrote, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. 
Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. He continues, In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. I think you didn't have the gift of comfort. We had, indeed, one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous, ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. Last paragraph. This is the first point to be made, he said. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. Listen to what he says. A microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. I'm going to invite our music team forward. And while they come forward and get into place, I'm going to read a few words um, by Jesus in the New Testament. Remember, Jesus lived among sick people. And Jesus reached out and touched lepers, and he healed them. And Jesus brought people back from the dead. But Jesus also went to a death where he died, for the most part, alone and forsaken by the Father. Again, his, his words to Martha... In John 11:25 to 26, he said this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though he die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Then he asks Martha, do you believe this? For now, sin, disease, war, famine, fear, and death dominate. But it won't forever. Because God is making all things new. Listen to Revelation 21, verse 4. He will future. Right now, He is a present help. He will future wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. God is a very present help in trouble. He is the surest refuge you can ever find. He's in control. He sent His Son where his own disciples, after walking and living with him for years, look at him and say, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And the reality of our reality, folks, is the wages of sin is death, and all of us have sinned. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray.